Peter Thiel and Josh Wolf were on a panel together at the Reagan Defense Forum, uh, and it was a, a panel on harnessing and securing American innovation. Uh, and the subtitle was How Venture Capital Impacts Defense. So um, I'm just going to pull out, there was other people on the panel, but I just focused on what Peter and Josh had to say. They're two of my, uh, I find these people, uh, them both very, very interesting, even if I don't obviously personally agree with everything they say. Uh, they have a unique way of looking at things. So let me just go to right, right to my notes. So Peter starts, he says, by my count, there are only two companies that have been started uh, since the Cold War that are focused on national security and have reached a billion dollar valuation, and that's SpaceX and Palantir. Uh, and so Peter says, a lot of innovation, why is that a problem? Because Peter says, a lot of innovation gets driven by smaller companies, smaller companies that eventually scale, right? This is absolutely critical. When not many people are doing it, if you're one of the few, few people to do it, there's a lot of opportunity. So he's talking about like, now is, is he working in and investing in uh, companies that are working in the defense uh, sector, but he wants more companies started in this. And he's saying the opportunity is, uh, is rather large here, doing uh, in some part to uh, the fact that so few uh, companies are doing it. Josh says, strength in part comes from technological dominance, and technological dominance comes from brilliant engineers that are inventing cutting-edge technologies. So he's going to talk about some brilliant engineers that he invested in. So he says, Palmer Lucky, Trey Stevens, and Brian Schimpf, founders of Endural Industries, Endural Industries, are authentic engineers that are obsessed with technology. They are constantly thinking about, what does the warfighter mean? So I always use the word soldier. This entire conference, I was watching a couple of the videos, they use the word warfighter, so that's what they're meaning here. What does the warfighter need? Where is the white space? Where is the gap? What is China developing? How, what is Russia developing? How can we put them, U.S. soldiers, U.S. warfighters, with the most cutting-edge technologies out there? I also linked in the email other notes that I took on Palmer Lucky because uh, he's a very unique person as well. Um, Josh continues, many of these people, those inventing new technology, were inspired by science fiction. They are literally going back 20 years into the annals of com uh, comic books and sci-fi movies and saying it'd be amazing if we had that. I think that's really cool. Uh, Peter says, if you can't create a business that is worth, so he talks about the difference between, uh, like, if you're a founder, you can have, you know, massive success on a small, quote unquote, small company. But for venture capitalists, like they obviously they're looking for billion plus um, uh, like opportunities. So he's saying like you got to figure out what kind of company you want to build, and like you you can be perfectly happy having a thirty million dollar private company as a, as an entrepreneur, like wonderfully happy. Um, so I really like him making that distinction that mo that for most companies venture capital is not suitable. So he's saying. If you can't create a business that is worth a billion dollars or more, the venture capital model does not work that well. If you start a company that is worth 30 million or 100 million, that can be quite successful for the person who started that company. For, for a venture fund, if that is the best we can do, we'd be out of business. This is why I always thought it was weird how people sit, like you see these arguments on Twitter, like between people, like which one's best? It's like, well, what are you trying to do first? And who, like, what is best for you? Like your the company you build is gonna be a reflection of your personality. So you kind of have to know that going in. I don't, that's why I don't see like why I wouldn't spend time like trying to influence the decision-making of somebody else that doesn't really have any effect on my life. Like just what kind of company do you want to build? That's a very personal decision. You can't have, somebody can't make that decision. Somebody other than you can't make that decision for you. Uh, so he says, um, oh, so Peter's asked, have Palantir and SpaceX created a template for other startups to follow with the defense space? And he says, well, there's certainly proof that it can be done, but in both cases, it took a wickedly long time, close to a decade to start getting significant contracts from the U.S. military. In some ways, they were not conventionally venture fundable. So even like a subset of, so most businesses are not venture fundable, right? 
you have a small subset that are venture fundable. And then, then you have this weird other subset like SpaceX and Palantir that are like, you can't bootstrap it, but it's not conventionally venture fundable. So what he was saying is like Elon had to put his own money to SpaceX to start and I, and Peter had to put his own money to Palantir. And then after that, they could raise money from outside people. So it's even more of a difficult um, like endeavor. Josh says, it's helped to, it helps to reduce market risk. You will have a lot of venture capitalists to say they are focused on the defense industry. But the stereotypes of the defense industry are that the defense industry is slow moving, it's bureaucratic, it's very political. And they, meaning the people awarding the contracts, might not pick the best technology and instead give the contracts to the company that have been working that, that they have been working with for the past 20 years, et cetera. So whatever you can do to eliminate that risk, meaning the, the people actually handing out the money, um, it is like a country... Uh, it's like as a country, we are fighting with ourselves by not equipping the warfighters with the absolute best technology that is coming from some of these very early companies. So he's saying like that's not really anything an entrepreneur or venture capitalist can do, but it really has to do with changing the way like the, 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 the selection process for how the money is uh, given out. Uh, Josh says, the origins of Silicon Valley were in electronic warfare and defense. There's an aversion for people to want to work on defense-related things. That is a zeitgeist that is growing. So he's concerned about that. He makes investments in this field. So he talks about, I think there's a job society can do. And that is the retelling of a narrative that can galvanize some of the best and brightest to work on American defense. Uh, Peter's giving a general warning to anybody running a company. There's always the danger for a tech company, I would say any company, to become overly bureaucratized. Um, Josh talks about the advantages he may have as an investor. He says, there's one real edge you can have as an investor is a behavioral advantage. For us at Lux Capital, this is company, that means having a longer time horizon than the average investor. We call this time arbitrage. If the average investor is looking for a signal of success in a year or two, and we're looking at something that might not give us a signal of success for four or five years, then by definition, there will be fewer investors looking to fund what we are funding. So this is another thing I learned from him. He, tried, he purposely chooses things that are really, really hard, not because he wants to do things that are really, really hard, but because he wants less competition. And this is kind of an echo of that thought. He says the valuations will be lower, and if we are right, the returns for us and our investors will be higher. So he gets in early, it's, uh, the valuation is lower because less people are doing it, less people believe in it, so therefore the, the upside is, from, from his vantage point, the upside is higher for his, his firm and his investors. So we like to look at things that are further out, which means they are riskier and more improbable to work. But, would they, but when they do work, they work in a really, really big way. And finally, Peter says, when I started PayPal years ago, I was always asked, why can't a big bank do this? I never had a good answer because in theory, the banks had the scale, they had more capital, they had longer time horizons. I think the answer is that internal politics are unbelievably bad. This is true not only in government, but also true of large corporations. They become incredibly, incredibly politicized in ways that are not good for innovation. 